Change is gonna come. See that you actually are a leader. I was with Nike for a very long time and built my career in retail. You know, I think uh, this podcast just got its first exclusive. Being an entrepreneur is hard. The highs are really high and then the lows are really low. That I'm actually really interested in hearing more about. Can you talk to us a little bit about what it's like transitioning verticals? Being open to opportunity. I feel like, okay, like if not now, then when? Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us on today's Motivated Podcast. We are finally back in person, and we are here to feature some impressive thought leaders and industry experts, where they discuss the core roots of their motivation, as well as how they're keeping the people around them motivated. My name is Dahlia Strom, and I teach marketing at the Fashion Institute of Technology, as well as run a company called Rethink Connect, where we focus on storytelling through experiential moments. And I am joined today by my wonderful co-host, Pablo Henderson, who is the VP of Marketing at Equinox Hotel. And I am so glad to be here back in person with him. Thanks, Dahlia. Uh, it makes a big difference to be in person. Yeah. And this is a funny one because we're welcoming back Amanda Baldwin, president of Supergoop, who has joined us on four separate occasions. Four <laughs> <laughs> and, and they've all been great. But I think that while the saying goes, third time's a charm, this is actually going to be the fourth. The fourth is going to be extra special. And not to overhype this one, I feel like so much has happened in the last year that this is really the evolution of our conversations that started, ironically enough, down the street at the Javits Center in the midst of complete chaos during a trade show. And here we are in the calm serenity of the Equinox headquarters uh, here in Hudson Yard. So full Full cycle. Yeah, Welcome. Excited to be here and have lots of questions about the hotel next door. So I'll say them forever. <laughs> so you can pepper them in whenever you want. Um, so speaking of this this turbulent time that we've been through, we t- we joked about how we started off at this trade show pre pandemic. Then we spoke when you were out of the city uh, in the Hamptons. And then you come back into the city, stabilizing kind of the business and, and some return to normal. And here we are again. It's been over a year now. Mm-hmm. What have you learned from this year? To me, this has been, look, let me start by saying that I've been healthy. My family has been healthy. The sun has still been out. So sunscreen is still a business that exists. So my personal experience through all this has been beyond fortunate. So my frame of reference as I talk about anything is, I'd like to say that very humbly, Um, the fact that I might look rested and all these things and what I'm able to say is predicated on that kind of experience, right? Quarantine in the Hamptons, you know, I I felt tremendously guilty actually about doing that, Um, but I have a young son and I was like, if I can protect him from seeing things and having to explain things, then I'm going to do that. Um, is it isn't it funny how like we feel guilty for making sure to give ourselves that chance to to recover, recuperate, like like personally enjoy life? Isn't that crazy? Well, I think it's the I think to some. And you're ex- not the only one, by the way. <laughs> no, I think to some extent it is the understanding of multiple perspectives. That's a key component to empathy. Mm-hmm. But when we experience something that is slightly different from the way a large number of other people are experiencing it, the guilt manifests itself in different ways. So for, for instance, for me, I was in Connecticut, so I didn't have this, ex- I didn't experience this exodus mm-hmm. that some people had to experience if they were based in New York. So I, wasn't, I didn't have guilt to feel that I wasn't having to leave my area or whatnot, but I had this overwhelming sense of gratitude that manifested itself in a form of guilt. So it's yeah. there's all these different versions of guilt that come in different layers depending on what your personal perspective is. And I think it's on one hand very different for the maternal instinct that kicks in, which is a protective one that will drive uh, an act or an emotion as opposed to, I'm not saying the paternal because I think the, the fathers can be equally protective, but a uh, a decision that's more grounded in pragmatics and logistics and operationalization of the home and whatnot. And that and those are equally valid. I think they just come from different places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting perspective. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I I, th- I would I like your word gratitude because I think I don't know I'm a glasses half full type of person. So rather than make rather than guilt, I feel gratitude and an acknowledgement of the privilege that I've had going through all this. So it's just important for me to say that and kind of saying like what have I been up to. Um, I've had it easy in comparison yeah. to yeah. And I've given people that. and humbled by that, I think. Um, so don't take it for granted, I guess. Yeah, uh. I've given that disclaimer too because I think that there are a lot of this experience where I asked you about learnings. The learnings are going to come from your individual experience through, through COVID and those learnings are going to be so personal I don't know that there have been collective learnings yet from COVID. I don't know mm. societally that yeah. we've been able to say, oh, this is what society has learned. Right. These are all very anecdotal and very circumstantial. Yeah. Um, no, so, I mean, I look, I think some of the science has been, you know, there's some fact-based things that maybe we've learned when you think about what do we know a year ago, what do we know today. But, yeah, I mean, I think for me the experience and sort of getting back to like, what did I learn, I've always been a big believer in like where there's a will, there's a way where if you if you make a mental decision, you can kind of get through anything. And I think those those mental choices were super powerful um, for me through this. And I think it's something that that I learn even worse. I don't think I've, I've ever put them to the test, maybe in the way that they were put to the test. So the decisions around we're not going to just survive, we're going to thrive for our business. And I think you can see that parallel across a lot of organizations and and differences and and how businesses have handled things and I think there's been so many lessons of the importance and the power of leadership through all this right I mean when you see the different outcomes across businesses across countries across small microcosms of our society a lot of it is decisions made at the top um, and what people have you know the the expectations that they've set um, how they've conducted themselves how they've asked their people to behave like there were choices that were made that are leadership choices that have profoundly impacted other people's lives so i think i think about the macro from what i observe and i'm not a scientist so i could not could not comment on that but as a leader i feel like wow this has just been kind of this amazing case study of what responsibility you have um as a leader and the power that your choices have i you know and often really small choices, small often choices, like, like yeah. tiny little decisions that are made from a leadership perspective that have massive repercussions. And sometimes the only way to really take stock of how important those decisions were was by looking back, reflecting with hindsight and saying, mm-hmm. wow, that was such a small decision, me letting this person do that or making the decision for us to not pursue this at that time. Mm-hmm. But it ended up having much larger ramifications. Do you have an example of something that that, that was a small yeah. decision that maybe had a larger impact? And I'll actually throw in yeah. uh, an example that we had last week with Scott Miller. So we uh, we brought in, a, he's actually an amazing um, writer. So I don't know if you've heard of him before. I'm going to make sure that we get this over to you. Oh, One wow. of these books over to you. Super inspired by him. Yeah. And he talks about like management messes mm. to leadership <laughs> successes. So oh, we spoke to him that. the other day. Yeah. And he had a really interesting example that he had an employee working for him and his hours were very firm. He has a hard, a hard stop at 2.30 p.m. And for him, he had to make a decision. Is the work more valuable to not stick to a specific set uh, time frame that he has to work, that he's paying him for? Mm-hmm. So instead of saying, I need you between the hours of X, Y, and Z, you switch gears and you make it more about deliverables. Um, he said that that was more valuable for him than to focus on the hours and he had to adjust his mindset. And I thought that that was a really powerful um, headspace to be in because mm-hmm. our typical is going to be nine to five and and we expect it. And if people are working outside of that time frame, it could create resent in the office setting. It could create resent from like a work perspective. But if it's if it's already set and prefaced up front, is there is there a way to shift your mindset, to shift your approach from a leadership perspective? And and we'd love to hear an example from your end on things mm-hmm. that have been impacted or or approaches that you've taken. Yeah. Well, I mean, the whole how do you manage and lead from the perspective of, of some of the logistics around work from home, hybrid work, that's a whole other topic <laughs> that we could certainly get into. Um, and I'm happy to, because um, I'm figuring it out as I go. But 
I mean, in terms of, I'm not sure there's little decisions. I'm going to go with a big one. Right. Um, we love big yeah. decisions. <laughs> and, and I think that's where I think that that it is about this sort of, there was a moment, and it was probably around the time that I talked to you all, where I decided that we were going to win. And that I wasn't going to just sort of lead us through how, you know, like I said, how do we survive this? But we were going to take advantage of it. And shifting my own mindset helped me shift the mindset of the organization. And I think I learned two things from that. One, that that leadership starts with, with you as an individual. It starts with your own mind space. Back to your point of, you know, are you taking care of yourself? What do you need to be able to show up every day at your best? Like, you have to be in that place in order to lead an organization successfully. And I think that... I saw and I've seen so many and, and listened to so many things of, of places where people were leading from either I'm going to win, they were leading from I'm going to hope this thing goes away, they were leading from a place of fear, um, they were, you know, and, and so much of that has just a direct impact on how your people feel every day, what vibe they're getting, the decisions they make. So my biggest decision last year was, was to kind of get my head in the game. Um, and that wasn't always easy. It's, you know, it's certainly, you know, you're, you're, battling as a, as a leader your own personal needs with what kind of what you need to show up every day and you hope that they come together but I will never forget like just making that really concrete decision and you're and doing it as you know one thing after another is being thrown at you of this is going wrong that's going wrong and and thinking well I like a good challenge and I like when the the game changes on me and well the game just changed so I'm going to take this as a learning experience. I'm going to take this and we're going to start brainstorming, you know, in June of last year about like what life could be like. It might have even been May. Um, you know, what life could be like on their side and how we're going to use this experience to make ourselves better personally and professionally. And that was like a very concrete moment. So, um, so like deeper diving into yeah. that, it was a scary time. Nobody knew what was going to happen. Yeah. In the beginning, they were talking about two weeks. It extended for a couple of weeks. Then it became a couple of months. We were starting to, to do an assessment. Do you think we'll be back by fall? Should mm. we talk about Fashion Week? Um, everything was scrapped at that point. So what was that pinnacle moment that you said, okay, no matter what, whatever it takes, we're going to win? Not and sure it's okay what tri- I- I'm not sure what triggered it. I just sort of remember it. And I think I think some of it is sort of embedded in my own personality, which is just kind of a, uh, I can handle a lot. And sort of coming from a framework of that, um, I do think actually having to run a business and be a parent through this was the greatest gift I could have been given versus the greatest challenge because I had no choice. You know, I couldn't crawl into a ball and be like, I'm just going to wait this out. Um, there were some rainy I, days when I there was it. There was some, <laughs> you know, I, I had to take care of my child um, and make sure that he was okay. And, I, and I've always felt this sort of deep sense of the, you know, now we're 60 people. At the time, we're about 40, so we've grown a lot, that every individual on that team was my responsibility. And so... I just didn't have there. There, it never occurred to me to do something else, um, because. But I wish I could say to you there was something that happened. I think it was just like the processing of the information, and I was going on all these long walks in the afternoons um, and runs in the mornings just to kind of like understand what was happening. I was listening to every piece of podcast, you know, news, whatever I could get my hands on. I think somewhere along the line, I realized, well, I'm not going to control any of this. But what I can control is what we do um, in response to it. So essentially, keeping yourself inspired, finding pieces of external motivation, like, and I feel like that that is always helpful, at least on my end. Pablo, I'm sure you could weigh in on that. Yeah, I mean, as you were talking, we had a similar approach, which was our the mantra that I developed for my team was that we would be poised to pounce, (laughs) and it was for us to maintain the dignity and the poise of a ballerina and the aggression of a boxer or a, mm-hmm. or a, a cat of some kind. Can right? you, you tell know? he's competitive? Yeah. <laughs> well, well, we're talking about Equinox, because so we, better we, be we some sort of working <laughs> out. We needed to be in, a, in, a, in an aggressive mm-hmm. mode, but, but done a certain way because there were a lot of brands that were making these drastic mm-hmm. pivots yeah. that mm-hmm. weren't aligned with who they were in the big picture and didn't want to succumb to that. 
But when you when you start to make a mental shift, the shift is relatively easy at first once it's made. But sustaining it mm. over long periods of time, especially when everyone is looking at you as the one that needs to deliver that energy day after day after. And so for, for me, one of the challenges was there were times where I really had to fake it because I had set up this mantra and then there were days where I wasn't even feeling the energy myself mm -hmm. and I wasn't in a win state of mind, but I had to portray that for the rest of the team. Did you find, did you, did you find yourself experiencing that or were you able to sustain it throughout the entire period of time? You know, I, th I think that this has, has been a marathon. It continues to be a marathon. I don't actually think everything is quote-unquote over, even though we're yeah. sitting in a room together. And, and I sort of, again, I kind of take every day as it comes and just sort of say that to my team. Um, so there was this leadership talk that I went to, I don't know, it must have been a couple of years ago, and it actually compared leadership to um, athlete, athletes. And kind of what athletes learned and there was a line that stuck with me that I've always just kind of when these moments happen and it was pressure is a privilege and that if you're in the seat of being looked at you have that's like that's an amazing again a gift and like that kind of I think really helped me get through it um, so I, I wouldn't say that every day was easy there were you know we give Monday morning updates and there were some Monday mornings where an I didn't know what to say. Um, I guess it was about a year ago in June, in the, you know, sort of the moment around a lot of the protests around Black Lives Matter. I didn't know what to say because I was processing my own like emotions about everything and and sort of horror at what was happening and and I was being looked on to give a statement for the company, a statement to my people, a statement to the industry. That was definitely the hardest week of my career. Um, way harder, quite frankly, than COVID um, because that was a lot. Um, I think, and that was probably, that was Monday morning where I wasn't sure I knew what to do. And I think I, I have a team that I've learned to be open and honest with and, and they've been very accepting of me not having the answers. I think that's another thing mm -hmm. that has come through in this last year when it comes with leadership that leaders don't have all the answers. Um, we have a mindset that can hopefully sift through things and a respect of people that we're going to make the best judgment calls that we can. But I think we all kind of realize nobody knows everything. Nobody knows the answer and that and the importance of admitting to that and having the humility to kind of have a team that is okay with that, um, I think has been really helpful. I think that's a big shift, I think, that people have had. Um, sometimes I feel like their expectations of a leader. Yeah, and sometimes I feel like um, we get worried that our team is going to lose confidence in us if we don't have all the answers. And and I feel like we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to have a majority of the answers, even when we don't. Because I do remember how important that time was and kind of making decisions like how like as companies do you stand behind this initiative? If you do, is it an authentic to your brand? If let's say you've never partaken in the conversation before, like. How do you make these quick decisions? And I'm sure you had some uh, interesting experiences too, right? Mama? Yeah, most definitely. I mean, on top of the environment that had been created, because nothing happens in isolation. Mm -hmm. There was the contextualization of everything else that was happening in the country and around mm -hmm. the world at that time. And so for, for, for me, I wanted to make sure that we were guided by just coming from a place of authenticity. Mm -hmm. And when we thought about what to say, that we always looked at what needed to be said based off, are we adding to the conversation? Mm -hmm. And by using that simple filter, it helped us not say a lot. And people would have said, wow, you know, you should have been more vocal. Well, I don't know that we really had much more else to add to the conversation if we were truly being genuine and authentic about why we were entering the conversation. And this is, this is not a hard and fast rule. I think every company needs to, um, to message the way they feel fit. But it was the way we also challenged our employees to think about the conversation. If you have something to add, mm -hmm. let's hear it. Yeah. If you don't have anything to add, you don't have to have something mm -hmm. to add because we're all processing 
And one of the things that I... I, I actually want to hit on that because I think that that's an interesting leadership tactic. Almost taking, digesting the information and opening it up to your team and saying, this is my perspective. What are what are your thoughts? So we can become a little bit more collaborative about this approach. I mean, brands are people too. <laughs> and, there's a, and that sounds really corny to say, but ultimately there are any major brand you look at there are human beings behind um, behind that brand and there's grief there's there's consolation there's joy there are all these spect- full spectrum of emotions that human beings are experiencing behind the work that they're delivering on we tend to see it sometimes in the context of a campaign or advertising or social media but ultimately uh, I felt that the conversation was important enough for us to use the time for self-reflection first and and it was bold at the time but we did not post a black square on Instagram we did not have a statement at that time because we felt like this might have been the right or the wrong decision but we wanted to make sure that we were going to actually be part of a a conversation that was going to be of substance Mm -hmm. and and as I said, there were no right or wrongs, but that time as a as a leader um, put extra pressure on me personally because of the expectation that because I was somebody of color, I should actually have an answer or something extra to say about it. And that was this enormous pressure that I felt at home too, because then my family and my wife and kids were looking at me like, well, what are you saying about this? What are you doing about it? Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I, I didn't even have the answers because I was processing just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think one of the things that you t- you said, uh, Amanda, that I really connected with was creating a space where it's okay to not have the answers, and the trust that you that, that your team has that that is okay, and that you have to to make yourself vulnerable in front of your team, and. When we talked at one point last year, you were very energized by your team and the culture that had been created, and you were very proud of them. Um, was has that been one of those sources for you? I'm sure the answer yeah. is yes. Yeah, but absolutely. I mean, absolutely. I mean, it's 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 the thing that I live for, um, and that makes me the most happy, the most proud is when, like, I what what I digest every day, and this gets to the conversation about working from home and productivity and hours. I am not judging us on, you know, obviously we have to produce sales and we're sending a certain number of emails. But what I feel tells me whether or not we're doing well is the the energy and the smiles and the laughter that I get right now. Unfortunately, through a Zoom screen, although we're moving ourselves out of that, that's when I know we're doing what we need to do. Um, and I think, you know, so much of the conversation is focused on productivity in this sort of crank it out type of sense and I think we're all focused on the wrong thing um, and that for me what I'm really trying to calibrate for in, in every decision that I'm making is like somebody excited to get up and go to work or go to their kitchen table as the case may be um, now like that's when I know that we've done the right thing and everything that we're you know look we sell sunshine for a living so you know, that's that very, is the bi- best <laughs> I love very, that. very built into the type of person who's going to, you know, we've got people from all over the world and every walk of life, but that's the commonality, right, is, is that kind of attitude that I think permeates everybody. And so that's what I'm really holding myself to, my leadership to, to everybody to, is, is how we're doing about that. And I, and I wish there was more conversation about that as everybody's talking about productivity and management and you know how we should work in the future is is like how are people going to feel every day um and yeah so there's an article a lot, recently lot of room about for uh, that conversation there was a recent article in in time about you know the the great resignation that there's going to be mm, this massive shift piece. as people you know look for new career opportunities that provide more flexibility there's a reevaluation are you doing anything as a leader to retain or or do you feel that you've created enough of a uh, environment that you're somewhat immune from from the flights that may occur from those that feel that they're not provided the flexibility that they need or deserve 
in this new world. Mm. So I, I did read that headline and I didn't read fully the piece, so I'll, I'll kind of comment and without the full context. But I think that, look, I think there's a balance too, right? You know, there is a job to get done and there are certain things that have to happen. And I think if you were to go to my team, nobody's going to say that I, you know, we're all sitting around doing yoga all day, although we do do yoga once in a while. Um, so I, I think with respect to that, I think that there is a certain framework in which you need to expect people to perform. So I, and, and I don't know exactly what this article was about, but the idea that I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, as long as I'm producing something, I don't know that that works either because I think that work is a collaborative effort, at least in, in the thing that we do, um, that requires physically being together at certain points. And that, that doesn't mean there's not room for flexibility around the edges, but a complete do anything whenever you want, I don't think is sustainable. Um, and I think that the situation of working from home is not sustainable. It's not my point of view. Um, I think that people thrive on each other's energy. We've said it ourselves. It's like a totally different feeling to be in the same place. And I think if you're, if you actually are looking out for people's mental health, I think getting them out of their houses and into another space is going to be really important and powerful. So I think I'm trying to find the balance in all of it. I think in general, I tend to believe there's no one right answer to anything. Um, and that, you know, I've often thought of that in business context of, you know, we're a brand that is the best of DTC with the best of wholesale with the best of, you know, there, there's, we tend to get into these, try to find these mental models and these frameworks of like, oh, this is now the answer and everybody's going to do it that way. And I think that that tends to lead people astray. Um, so I'm trying to think about this whole experience of what does work look like on the other side with the perspective of there's a lot of more extreme things being talked about and like what's the middle ground. There were some really good things about being together and maybe we've learned some positive things that have come out of this. How do I be very thoughtful about the specifics versus trying to have some general answer um, and then continue to test, learn, iterate. That's the other thing that's very built into our culture is that there's never, not only is there not an answer, there's definitely never a final answer because the world moves around you. Uh, and so never taking something as final. Um, we never take a formula as final. <laughs> we yeah. never take a marketing strategy as final. And I don't think we're going to, you know, even as we talked about what we're going to do when we reopen our office, I was like, this is what we're going to start with. And we're going to see how it goes. I love um, that so, because you know, it's a little, I mean, it's crazy, right? Because you're constantly reinventing everything. And you never, and, it, and I think it has something to do with being in a really fast-growing business because the business is not static. So the needs of the business are not static. So if you think you figured anything out, you can kind of be like, oh, I got that now. Yeah, no. Don't go, <laughs> yeah, don't go work in a business that's, you know, growing at the rate that we're growing. I do think it's worth it to like, and, and I like the approach. I think it's worth it to do an assessment at the end of the week. How did this go? Should we should we do summer Fridays? Um, I think that, like, so Pablo and I started doing a series on Clubhouse, and a big theme was burnout because mm -hmm. people were in front of their computers from yeah. like 7 a.m. to 10, 11 p.m. They just weren't stopping. We had no concept of time. We just kept going and going and going. And then we also have the reality, unfortunately, you had some realities with your team, Pablo, where people had to relocate. They couldn't afford rent. Um, like a lot of shift of mm -hmm. gears, which could also lead to burnout. So extended period of time working. We, we don't really have vacation time because where are we going? So why not just invest that time into work maybe we have to take actions move um let go of things i i personally found that decluttering for me was a motivator but it might have uh, upset people if they couldn't necessarily afford to keep uh, specific items like cars or or essential items that they used to need but didn't necessarily need right now so i think that that goes back to like burnout right and and what do you do about those scenarios and even so because i would assume that like on my end, when I, when my team burned out, it burned me out even faster because I felt a heavier workload on my end. So I'd love to hear both of your perspectives on that. And one of the things that I think is so critical to uh, anticipating burnout before it happens are these micro decisions that that you mm -hmm. can make along the way. And there's there everything happens with with a certain rhythm to it. And as you see burnout occurring, you can influence that rhythm for individuals. And a lot of that has to do with how 
work is assigned or the space that you're creating where that work is happening. The challenge for leaders who are working in a remote space is that there are so many subtle cues <laughs> that you don't pick up on yes. when you're not with people. Like even this conversation we're having right now, yes, we're speaking. And for those that will hear this, they will listen. But there's body language that's happening right now. There's eyes that are talking. There's movement that's happening just in the readjustment of your seat. There's a breath that changes. All of those things are actually cues within burnout too and within motivation. And as a leader, I can read the body language of my team when they're around and I can see how people are responding in the boardroom or how the pitch is going or, or, or whatever example. Yeah. We don't have access to that in a remote environment. And so we need to be hyper cognizant that we need to foster things that invest, that create energy that we're putting into people. And I worry that we've taken so much for granted with video conferencing. I mean, it's great that you guys are doing yoga once in a while um, and that it sounds like there's a really healthy balance at Supergoop, but a lot of companies seem to have taken it for granted recently that, hey, we're kind of getting back to normal. And I think that the shift from what was to what happened to what is now is going to require even more investment in, in your people. And that's, that's putting in more than, than what we think is just emo um, financial investment or resource investment. It's an emotional investment. It's making sure that people are feeling fulfilled in other ways. I, I, I struggled actually when the decision was made that we had to come back to the office full time because while I had always come to the office and even during the pandemic, I was coming to the office frequently, it signaled the end of something mm -hmm. prior. And yet again, there needed to be another mourning of some kind, mm -hmm. right? A grief of the loss of what had happened before. You know, I think there's so many interesting points to that. I think one thing that I think I've hopefully gotten better at, but I still know I have work to do on, is just listening. Just listening to people. And you're right, Pablo, you don't have the same level of inputs, but you have usually enough to judge, like, how is somebody doing? And just taking a moment to give the space to talk about it. So, and I found another thing that's interesting when you're in my shoes, I don't get all of it directly. So I've really relied on my leadership team to be that conduit of information. And I think how you receive that information as a leader creates a space of whether or not it's comfortable to say this, is, I'm burnt out or the team is burnt out or we're pushing too hard or whatever. And like, you have to create a space in which that's okay to talk about um, and that people will trust that you will listen and adjust and, you know, and again, it's a constant recalibration. It's a constant balance, right? The business is still running. So how do you figure out how to give people the space that they need and make those micro decisions of we're going to take this Friday off. We're going to give everybody, you know, some money to go to a spa um, for the day. And, you know, I have a great team member who suggested something to me that I'm going to try this summer. Um, just like, you know, listening. Wait, what was the suggestion? Well, I haven't announced it to my team yet, but basically they're like, I want to start spending time in person with, and they were sort of naturally calling people up. And I was like, okay, great. We're going to sanction that. We're going to give everyone a budget to say, if you want to go have lunch or drinks or coffee with people who are starting to come back to New York, I'm going to give you, you know, a budget to be able to go and do that. So That's small nice. micro yeah. things to sort of read what people are ready for. And I think I've learned through this that what I'm ready for is not necessarily what my team is ready for, that it's my job to be probably multiple months ahead of where everybody is because that's where my head needs to be. But if I'm already in the office, that does not mean that everybody is ready for that yet. Um, so I think just being slower about things and, and kind of conscious of, I'm te I tend as a personality to be just like, the first one in line, the first one back in the office, the first, like that's just me. But recognizing that that is not what people, everybody's comfort level is and to kind of give people the time to make the adjustments and, and that's okay, right? Yeah. So I've, I've learned a lot about what I need versus what everybody else needs. And, and I would not say the answer to those, there's 60 different answers to that question. 
Um, and that's the, you know, that's the beauty of being in a smaller organization is we can be a little bit more bespoke and thoughtful about, okay, how do we create some level of consistency, but also tailor things to individuals and, and that you can do in an organization of that size. But, you know, again, it's, it's a constant balance. Like I, I want fairness and I want equality across the team. It is not, you know, 60 sizes, um, but sort of understanding where people are and kind of helping them get to the group norm at a pace that works for them. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting um, because as we're talking about this, um, people aren't so willing to share. Uh, If you ask people a question, how are you doing? Is everything okay? The likeliness that they're actually going to give you the real situation or their true scenario is probably on the slimmer side. So I, I agree with you that like you can even take some of those micro cues, but then asking them those questions, they might still clam up. They might actually not share the information that uh, that you actually need to be able to, to take action. What are some other strategies that that you both have used in terms of getting people to feel comfortable, safe, want to open up? They're not going to do it to me. <laughs> that's the. I mean, that's the honest, and that's okay. So, like, I'm again. I don't think I'm the first line of defense, so to speak. Um, it's and it's my good to team, know that. You know, yeah, very, it's a very um, interesting feeling um, when all of a sudden you're kind of in my shoes and you realize that you're this CEO and you never think of yourself that way. Um, you can suck the air out of the room. Um, and you, you know, you kind of realize, oh, wow, I've got to rely on other people for information. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. That means that they're, that they're trusting in their leader. And I find it's also often not directly to your boss that sometimes that's the situation, but there's also people that kind of are, that have somebody else senior in the organization that they trust and have a relationship with. So, the information can come from anywhere. So I think fully recognizing that I don't know on my own um, and that it's usually going to come to me anonymously. Um, We've done anonymous survey anonymously. And, you know, and I, what I'm looking for is usually the macro yeah. versus the micro and letting the individual managers handle the micro and of like one individual situation. If they raise it to me, that's great, but they don't need to. But that my job is really to take care of the macro of uh, the the energy and, and the big bigger picture things um, I think it's distinguishing an, between those two it's an interesting perspective because ultimately you're trying to create a safe space where anybody can come speak to you so even if it's just the managerial position that's coming in uh, sharing that information how do you make them feel comfortable that they can come to you at any point and share share that needed information i think it's how you respond when you get the information yeah. sometimes you hear something that wasn't really what you were hoping to hear and if you fire back at it um, and don't accept it, then that creates a pattern of you're not going to hear it the next time. So, um, and sometimes it's, it's hard. Um, but I think knowing that people are being honest with you is the greatest gift your leadership team can give you. And so, boy, like it doesn't do you any good to put your hand in the sand and say, oh, everything is fine, right? Um, you got, and again, we've been very lucky. But at the, at the moments where something is not okay, you can't reject that information, you have to say. And, and, I, and I'm very proud of my team, and I give them a lot of credit of the places where they've pushed back on me, and I think I've listened, and I've adjusted my own point of view to say, I was wrong, um, and they're going to guide me here, and I've got to trust that, again, they have a, a closer pulse on the information of what, you know, that, that we have different different points of view and different purviews of information, and, and they're they have a pulse that I kind of don't have in the same way. Um, I care, but that's different than being with every individual as much as they are. Right? Yeah. I spend most of my time with my leadership team, right? Not as much time all the way through the organization. Mm-hmm. And so how on earth could I expect that I would do? Yeah. And I'm now not in the physical office where I used to. That's what I was going to say. You know, in physical office, of, you kind of, you yeah. know, you, you pick up on things. You might have a casual conversation with some and I do have, you know, relationships that I adore of other people that have been with us for a long time and kind of I've known since we were all fit in one office. But most of the time, that's not what I'm doing. And so I've got to listen. Yeah. And it's it's all in how you react. I think, I think Dahlia, well, no, you are, I was, now I'm going to say, I think you <laughs> really honed in on those skills the more that you got involved in Clubhouse because you got a huge following 
some what, over 30,000 people. Certainly it was, you know, thought leadership and because you had interesting things to say, but what I noticed that you did really well was that you had an ability to have total strangers feel comfort in the way that you were listening, even though listening is a silent act. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty powerful, right? Mm-hmm. If somebody mm-hmm. can feel that they can contribute because you're moderating and your moderating is it's kind of like being a jazz musician. It's the note that you don't play mm-hmm. that is the most important as opposed to always feeling that you have to say something and leaving space. And I think you, Amanda, even mentioned this, like creating space, open space for things to be able to thrive is, is crucial. And in the feedback realm, I think that that was a real testament to a skill that you you mastered in in that period of time. And I think it was because it was a platform that was very, it was great for somebody <coughs> with your skill set because you love to, to speak and um, and are you also, were a, as an empath, you were able to read emotions through the subtle nuance of the voice. And so there's a lot to be said for that. And the listening part, Amanda, that you mentioned is, is, is to me the, the key to setting the cornerstone, but it does have to come with equally some level of investment in time and we can't expect relationships to to happen overnight it's funny because one of my mantras is um i like to listen before i speak and i recommend that everybody do that first just pay attention uh pick up on tonality pick up on energy so so i really advocate for listening before you speak and making sure that you digest what the person is saying i think unfortunately sometimes we we've already kind of teed up what we mm-hmm. want to say and we don't absorb what is being said to us. And, and that's where I think conversations and and even relationship building can fail because they don't feel like they're being heard. And it's funny because I was just going to say, your mantra is feedback is a gift. (laughs) (laughs) That was because I was not good at receiving feedback. And so it was an area of opportunity for me to grow and a a leader, you know, identified that in me and, and decided to, to shift my dialogue on it. And so once I started thinking of feedback as a gift, it completely changed my perspective. I remember Amanda, when we spoke, you shared uh, an example, you may not remember this, but you, you shared an example in a prior, a prior world where you participated in a group exercise um, and the takeaway from that group exercise, um, maybe it was in a consulting role or, or in a previous, previous role, I think, um, was around self-awareness and that at the time you um, weren't quite as self-aware. Uh, I know what you're talking yeah. about. Yes, because it was <laughs> it was my business school. Lead, yes. Um, what did they call? Now I'm blanking on what we. It was like our it was learning a group? Te- learning team. That's what it was called. Yeah. Gosh, tells you that. Do I you just mind re- retelling recapping us that? that? Yeah, um, and a shout out to my ward and learning team for again putting up with me. But no, this was your first year. It also comes full circle. Full because circle. Because the last time we that we saw each yeah, other was, was at, at Wharton. Yeah. Um, so your first year at Wharton, you were um, put in a group, I think it was about five or six other students, um, and you do most of your first year projects together. And so a lot of your academic uh, results are dependent on. A group projects, right? And and I think it's one of the best, and I think a lot of business schools do it this way. I think it's one of the best. I always say in college, I learned a lot about myself. In business school, I learned a lot about how I came across to other people. And those are two very different things, equally important, but, but different. And that out of the gate in business school, I had never, I'd always been an analyst or like the, you know, the low man on the totem pole and kind of just did my thing and worked for people. I had never had to work in the same way across people or have a, you know, have a cohort in the same sense. And the first feedback session, they basically, I, I, I've, I've never felt, I don't know what the right emotion is, sort of a, a level of, of embarrassment maybe, or being ashamed that they were kind of like, Amanda, you were just way too hard charging. You're not giving anybody airtime. Um, you want to just solve all the problems yourself and be like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll go do it myself and, you know, let you guys know when it's done. And Maybe humility. Humility, yeah, yeah, it was humility. But I remember feeling really upset by it because I certainly never had that intention. I think I always have, like, wanted 
to have people feel like, but I don't think I recognized the micro decisions, the behavior, how I was coming across. And, and that was one of the best things that could have happened to me. I think it was one or two months in, and it was a conscious moment where I realized that my natural resting state is always going to be to be a driver, to be pushing harder, faster, and that I would have to learn to pull myself back if I was going to be able to be successful in, in bringing everybody along. So I thank them for that. Um, but I think you're hitting but, on such yeah. an important note about team <laughs> Still dynamics. Still working on it, I'm sure. <laughs> and, and I think that that's, that's important, too, to really embrace, which is team dynamics. Like, how do we work together as a team? Who mm-hmm. is the person that, that is leading and guiding the team? How does everybody feel about that? Is there another natural-born leader that could be leading that conversation or that team? And, and it's interesting because also when you're typically the leader in the room but there's a project lead, it's, it's kind of a interesting dynamics. How do you feel about having the main leader in that room almost assessing, judging, being there? Um, what is their comfort zone? Do, do they feel intimidated? Are they able to execute properly? I think that there's so many emotions and thoughts. And, and you know, it's funny. I So, again, I spend a lot of time on Clubhouse. I enjoy listening to some of the uh, entrepreneurial pitches. Um, I'm definitely scouting out some, time, some of them that I'm interested in potentially investing in. So a majority of them get nervous and their voice changes and they're not able to communicate properly. So so I'd be curious from both of your ends, how, how does that feeling work, especially through Zoom? Do you feel like they've been a little bit more comfortable? Do you feel like maybe um, they've regressed a little bit backwards? I'd love to hear Who's, who's they? Sorry. Your team. Team? Yeah. Oh, I think my team has ri- more than risen to the occasion. I think everybody's grown a tremendous amount through this. Um, I think that... One thing that you're, what you're saying made me think about is that really, if you're in my shoes, I've changed, you know, I, I think you have to think of it as you're leading a group of leaders, right? Like, if, again, when you're thinking about your direct team, that, 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 that each one of them are experts and masters at their domain. And it's my job to clear away obstacles, give a sense of what we're all trying to do, coordinate to make sure everybody's moving in the right direction, and then get out of the way. Um, and that they know way better than I do what the right answer is for their specific discipline. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think I've, I've, I'm trying. And, and quite frankly, as a business grows, you're forced more and more right. to get out, get out, get out, get out. Don't come to that meeting, Amanda. You're not invited. Um, and I'm happy when that happens. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to get better and better at saying, actually, I don't want to be there. Let's talk about it before, and then I don't want to be in the room. With, because, again, when you're... When you're in my shoes, people look to you right away as the one who's, you know, what's she going to say? So, um, again, I forget that about myself. So the best way I can solve for that is to get out of the room um, and let other people, you know, do what they're going to do 10 times better than I ever would. I think one of the things that, I, that was really interesting is that um, at, at the peak of the pandemic, we had to work with limited resources mm-hmm. and the team really started to retool and reskill very quickly. We were less agency dependent and folks just had to roll up their mm-hmm. sleeves. And there was a mastery of new skills that occurred in the team dynamic where I was totally ignorant to how those things, how the sausages how those things actually made, right? happen. I know and, it's very humbling and, feeling, and, and it is a humbling feeling. But it also is really empowering because mm-hmm. knowing that, that my team yeah. had invested in understanding how that worked, and that I could trust uh, another word that has been used several times in this conversation, trust my team that it was going to work out, made me feel this new sense of confidence and. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with who you are as an individual because other people will feel insecure and it just plays on their existing insecurities. In my case, that was something that to me allowed me to know, okay, they've got this and I can move on to something else without adding additional worry. And I think that the when I saw the team start to reskill and retool and take on more, uh, it was a form of thriving that re-energized me. I was curious, you mentioned running and the podcast. (laughs) What did you do to to re-energize through all of this? What did you do to kind of find your inspiration? You mentioned podcasts and some leadership talks and whatnot. 
morning run. Um, I, and do not picture a marathon level anything. In this. No, Pablo's there. Pablo's um, there. <laughs> you know, just, and I think I, I remember saying to my husband at the beginning of this of like, don't stop me. I'm going to go out the door every morning. Uh, you know, even if, and you know, my son is like, oh, mom, don't go, don't go. I'm going. Um, 30 minutes. And I will be able to handle whatever. So I think for me, getting exercise, so plug for plug for Equinox, um, has <laughs> has been, it's just like I, I can't function without it. So that's really important. And it doesn't have to be, you know, run, walk, whatever it is, creating, again, space. We're talking a lot about creating space because I don't listen to music. I don't do anything. I'm not, I feel like so much of the day is just inputs, right? Mm. And that is actually like a moment where my brain just, processes um and I really need that so I think that's probably been my biggest thing um you know again I think I've always said that being a working mom is makes you 10 times better at at being in my shoes because when the day is over and I have to go be mom like it just puts everything in perspective it forces you to shut the laptop it forces you not to you know kind of be on all the time and recalibrates you around something that's just I think unbelievably energizing also completely exhausting um which is why monday mornings like great ready to go back to the office um but that balance i think has been really important um did you retool or learn a new hobby you know some people started baking bread some people you know that was like that's like i feel i'm not gonna say i feel bad that i didn't because that was like an aspiration that was never gonna happen um I did not pick up any new cool skills. Okay, if and you I could have, have no cool if skills. you could have, if there was one, if there was a party trick that you could have learned throughout all of this, what would it have been? I'm always trying to learn more languages. That never happens. But the thing that that Harvard was um, giving, like you could take Harvard classes for free in like August, uh, April and May of last year, and there were all these classes that I had wanted to take but didn't have enough time to fit into my schedule when I was an undergrad and I went I look at those and I think I took one hour of one of them and that was the end of that so that's what I would have done I would have had there was so much you really cool even more of a geek than I, I thought you were I'm like definitely <laughs> I've embraced it in life um no not gonna fight you on that I wish I had there was so much cool stuff to like listen to and learn but I also was sort of burnt out out of Sitting, I didn't really want to sit in front of a screen right, yeah. anymore. Um, but I definitely listened to a lot of stuff, and no, and still do, because I think it's it's sort of how I understand what's happening in the world, um, is to just digest as much information as I can. I like that. I I can relate to that. I think the opportunity to learn more, also to I'm sure you're surrounded by a ton of people, so it makes you more worldly. You're able to contribute more to conversations. I get that in terms of value. Hello, I'd be curious, what is yours? My God, there's so many. I, you know, I'd always told myself that if ever I slowed down, I would want to learn how to juggle. Mm. And, um... How's that going for you? juggle? (laughs) And I, I, I didn't do it. Um, in fact, I've been feeling a little bit of sadness recently because I feel like all the people around me took advantage of the last year and a half in some way. Mm. And although I did spend more time with my family, just because I was closer to home and I was on the road, I used to and go on the road. And you love them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll go Thanks. back on the road. Um, but, but, <laughs> but I didn't actually use the free time that I had to accomplish anything new. I settled into more of what I already, mm. it, like, you know, I'm a runner too, so I, I took the opportunity to, to, to go on more runs. I, I did more of what I enjoyed and and did barely nothing new other than I did take a, a beginner sailing uh, class with my wife last summer, and that was quite a treat. That's yeah. fun. That is That's fun. fun. That's yeah. really nice. Yeah. Um, I think that it's interesting because... Well, you're not going to skip this question. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> nice try. So, so I'm appreciative of the things that I did do, and I feel like I made some quick decisions that I'm not sure that they could have worked out as well as they ended up. Um, oh, like buying a house sight unseen? Sight unseen. Oh, my gosh. And then gut renovating the entire thing. Where that is this? Here. Scarsdale. Scarsdale. 
So, so that I think uh, was beneficial. I think as an extension to that, I started building a jewelry brand very, very recently. So, so I like the idea of building, creating. My regret, and you'll both of you will actually really appreciate this. And I did try, is getting into running. I tried. I don't like it. I don't know what to do. And I really want to want to like it. No, no, no. You have to find, I don't know. I think life is about finding what you naturally love and doing more of it. I think we have this sort of weird thing that I have to learn something new. I'm supposed to do something else. I don't know. Maybe it's the parent in me is like, I got to just understand my child and help him do more of what he's naturally great at instead of trying to, I don't know. I think we all put too much pressure on ourselves to try and do things that... I think the part that I'm struggling with it is that everybody around me, I talk to Pablo all the time. He's He went to California, by the way. He, he has done a ton during this pandemic. He went to California last week specifically for, um, it was like a, a marathon. A marathon. Yeah. So everybody around me loves it. And I want to want to love it. And I don't know how to get in that mode. And also, I end up winded within the first like five minutes, so I transition to walking. <laughs> but you know, you know, you want to know a secret? Even the best runners in the world, the ones that set records, the Olympians, feel winded in the first five minutes. The huh. body is actually trained to say, why are you doing this? Why, why are you doing this? Because, why are you wasting all this energy? running was designed to go get right. a reward, right. like a, a protein. Escape a predator. Or some kind yeah. of escape a predator. <laughs> And so when you do it without that purpose, the brain actually knows and it mm. fights you internally. And then you end up getting into this really good phase because it's a, you know, an element of survival. We were designed to run. And then you get into the phase where you get a bit of a high, right? If, and if you're fortunate enough to get that run as high, that's what leads you into doing more of it. But Wait, you should be comforted that you could be an Olympic runner. You're getting the same... <laughs> Well, that's interesting. Yeah. I never knew that, but it makes yeah, like, sense. I find like starting level stopping is much harder than just love going. It at the beginning. Yeah. So, at what point does this high come about, and how long do I need to persevere before well, I get it, that? It's high. different for everybody, but it's a level of intensity, and those are just the endorphins that you release when you exercise, and you can create that environment in lots of different ways. So it doesn't even have to be running, and it's not my area of specialty because I'm not like a personal trainer or anything. But I do, I do think that. A brisk walk can give you the same benefits as as running because it's ultimately about this idea of doing something automatic that that is out in nature that gives you inspiration and you the run for many people is just that it's just this idea of not doing the other thing right like just how you have great ideas when you're in the shower because it's a motor skill that you've developed and you're not actually thinking about that thing. And that's where you get so many of those ideas. So I think that so you, if you had an outlet like that, I think it would probably it would probably be something that would open up a whole new world to you. I'm trying. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try tomorrow. But you're not going to be running. It's not be running. But I'm going to try tomorrow because I do want to get to that place of at least like a brisk walk and enjoying it. And I'm not even at a brisk walk. <laughs> <laughs> well, There's always tomorrow. Time. That's the beauty of exercise. So... I kind of want to wrap this on the note of um, how much do you feel comfortable to share with your team about what you're up to, even right down to like when you start off the, the conversation, small talk, how was your weekend? And I think that there's a fine line that sometimes I find myself not wanting to cross with oversharing information where it then transitions the relationship to a friendship and sometimes boundaries can be stepped on so I'm curious from your perspective mm -hmm. how much do you feel is sharing where you feel comfortable and oversharing where the boundaries are no longer there I think I take the lead from the individuals I think there's sort of some people that want to get into all sorts of more personal conversations and I, I, I think I try and I don't believe that there is a leadership style. I think that a, that one's leadership style is about adjusting to the individual that you're leading at that moment in time or the team or the situation or whatever. So I don't know that I have a hard and fast quote unquote rule about that. I think there, there's just some people that are going to be much more comfortable. I mean, look, I think from a, if there was something that is a quote unquote rule, I think it's that at the end of the day as a leader, you are expected to have a certain level of 
you know, you're not people's friends. I mean, that's a weird thing for me to even say. And if my team were listening, I, I, I say that very cautiously because I deeply, deeply, deeply adore them. But it's not my job to be their friend. And I, and I, I will give you guys a quote that Steve Jobs said. <laughs> you may know what it is. But he basically said, look, if, it's, if you want to make everybody happy, don't become a leader, sell ice cream. And that is a really hard thing to digest. Well, sell sunshine. Sell, sell sunshine, right? <laughs> it's a really hard thing for someone like me to digest who really loves people and loves getting to know them and wants them always to be happy, um, to realize that there is a line in the sand that as a leader, that's not actually what you're supposed to do. So that's not really totally answering your question, but maybe a nuance on it of, of there is a little bit of a boundary. And it's a, it's a funny feeling to end up on the other side of that when you grow up kind of in the trenches, right? And some of my best friends are the people that I've worked with. And then all of a sudden you're, you know, that, that phrase of it's lonely at the top is, is kind of true. Um, but I say that, you know, again, very cautiously because I adore my team and I would do anything for any single one of them. Like I told you, it was the thing that I knew day one through all this was my most important responsibility was to them as people. Um, but that's different than being somebody's friend. Yeah. I have one more question. I want okay. you to weigh in on that. <laughs> I was oh, like, that's on a hard one to answer. I I have struggled with striking that balance because I like to have very genuine relationships yeah, with people. Yeah. And when I hold back, I don't know that I'm always my authentic self. Um, the byproduct of that is that I find myself not opening up you know, into my personal details because I'm very English also. So it kind of like held back in how we share. We're definitely not oversharers. But I I know a lot about my team and what they like and, and what they're going through and what their personal circumstances are. And I feel that that helps me as a leader to better understand where their strengths are and where their weaknesses are. It's nearly like a 360 degree holistic view of of the the individual but i'm also very fortunate that i have a small team as that team grows and as the dynamic of the business evolves that's a luxury and so you know i left the largest travel company in the world and i'm now in a more of a startup environment so i take advantage of the family business dynamic of a startup now but it's only because of this moment in time and I agree with you, you know, uh, there comes a point when you can't be everyone's friend. And uh, I do think that when there's time to separate or there are difficult conversations to be had, the more you've invested in the friendship piece, the more that um, those conversations can either go well or they can be really difficult. And I've tried to strike a balance between neither neither of those two extremes. Yeah. It's almost like you're a coach and a cheerleader. That's different than a exactly a, a friend, I think, of yeah. in a different way, right? We all yeah. have very close friends, and, and those relationships are wildly important. But I don't think it would be fair to equate the same word to a professional relationship. Yeah. And, and again, I think of myself as a coach and a cheerleader and a supporter and somebody who wants to know as much as they want to share in order for me to help them the best that I can. Um, but I guess it is different. Um, and, and that's okay. Maybe yeah. that's like that's not a bad thing. That just is the way that it is. So we're, we're coming into the summer. Mm-hmm. What is the one piece of sun advice you can give us as we go into, uh, aside from wearing sunscreen? Reapply. Reapply. The number one thing that gets people is that they put it on, then they go to the beach, and then they come home at the end of the day, and they're like, I got sunburn. And the reason is because any sunscreen, super goober, otherwise, two hours in direct sunlight, 80 minutes in a pool or, or the ocean, it's disintegrated. Um, and you may as well not put it on in the morning. So reapply, 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 liberally, generously, all the time. You heard it here <laughs> from the experts. Yes. Um, it's funny because I think about it for my kids. I put it on them in the morning, but by the time they get home, it's like three-something-ish. Yeah, yeah. How do you even manage that in the middle of the day? Like, it's, it is Most camps now, I think, are smart enough to know that, you know, the, you know, we do a lot of work with schools and with camps to make sure that they have the, you know, we have a program that gives away free sunscreen in schools called Ounce by Ounce. 
Um, and it really is for the reason that even oh, if you, if, even if a mom puts it on in the morning, if you're on the playground in the afternoon, it's you know it's no yeah. good anymore. I so. was uh, I, on that trip that I took last week to California. I went surfing the next day. Of course you and, did. I and, wouldn't uh, expect anything else. And, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, we're in full body wetsuits. And it was really gray. In fact, they in California during that time, they say um, gray May. And the guy's like, um, yeah, I've got waterproof uh, sunscreen for you. And it, it was so overcast. And we're in full body wetsuits. And this guy was like obsessive about applying. I was like, wow, that's pretty, pretty cool. I, I mean... That he's uh, obsessive about it, but I guess that if you're a surfer, overcast, overcast, yes, it's the, the UVA's, the rays are coming right through those clouds, and some of the worst burns that people get yeah. is like, oh, it's overcast, wow. and they're getting, you can get a really bad burn. Wow. I learned that the hard way. Yeah, most people learn that lesson the hard word. Yeah, because they, exactly, they don't put it on. Oh, I stay out a little bit longer, and I was in Colorado, and um, I, I just, it, it didn't feel as hot mm-hmm. it was overcast and wow did i get a burn i i will forever so you can thank your that. surfing <laughs> <Yeah>. instructor <laughs> thank you so I much thank him. Really thank you. before we wrap yeah. before we wrap because i do want to make sure that um we're mindful of time can you leave our audience with any just words of motivation i think that um what we've been doing really well is making sure to capture like a small bite of something and i think we can use that as like a something on linkedin or instagram and we are we're looking to become a little bit more creative. I've been mm-hmm. talking to the uh, global creative director of LinkedIn, so we'll start seeing how we can incorporate it there mm-hmm. too. Gosh, I mean, I think the you know just the best is yet to come has always been something that I always believe, and um, I think if you can kind of get yourself in that headspace, you can take on anything. So. I like it. Yeah, I like it. I like it. That is, <laughs> it's it's good to think again from a glass. I don't, half I don't like to be Pollyanna, but mm-hmm. I think you kind of. I think that. I think it's the only way. To I be. really liked well, something that you said today that really resonated with me was leaving things open ended in that nothing was final mm-hmm. because I think that the pressure that so many people feel is that this is a final decision. This is the, yeah. no, know, I, this I, policy when I told my team, I was like, this is going to change. Yeah. The only thing I know for certain is change that. is the only thing that's certain. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love so, that. Just it's, it's bring funny. it on. In our theme song, it actually says yeah. change is going to come. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> always does. It always yeah. does. We're not, you know, again, I mean, human evolution has not equipped us so well to handle that. Um, but I think yeah. we gotta figure it out, right? At least from a culture perspective, if we can make sure that we focus on this is never final and we'll reassess, I agree a hundred percent. Amanda, this was amazing. Thank you. I'm so, so good to glad see you guys. we got to do this in person. <laughs> it's fun. I love going down those paths. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe to the Motivated Podcast and also stay tuned on LinkedIn and Instagram for some behind the scenes and extra updates.